Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the eastern border. This time a lot more south than usual from uh, Sarajevo in Bosnia and Herzegovina. I have a lot to talk about here, thanks to the amazing, glorious, generous, and just super supportive comrades from the Red Africa folks. Uh, these guys uh, sponsored my trip here and they've shown me everything and they're a company that organized tourism through the third world. The third world here means what it originally meant, that is, all the non-aligned countries of the Cold War. I think, by the way, that Tito invented here from Yugoslavia, when this region was Yugoslavia. And uh, yeah, you should definitely check it out their site if you want to see their beauty, that is the Balkans, and uh, I'm gonna post a link when I publish this, it's just great. And uh, they're truly amazing guys, and as far as I know, they do Africa stuff too, which might be also interesting. Many, many thanks to them, and I hope that I will encourage you to see Balkans and, and Bosnia and Herzegovina and, and Serbia and, well, other places here and just enjoy them. And if you do and, and want to come here, please use their services. They've been nothing but the utmost kindest of hosts, and it's just great here. And we've got some interesting podcasting-related plans for the future as well, by the way, with the people. And it's going to be crazy. And if we succeed, it's going to be really big. But that's a teaser, because I want to keep this stuff kind of secret until, you know, the time's right. <laughs> it's important in Latin culture not to talk about what you're going to do in detail until it's done. However, and I seriously wanted to avoid all political news on this trip, because this is a tourism trip for me, and finally I feel like I'm in a place where everyone's friendly and I don't feel threatened. And, well, that's kind of new for me, you know, if you if you follow the show. And uh, I promised my dear hosts of, again, Red Africa, please do Google them up, find them, uh, they're great. Promised them that I wouldn't be doing anything uh, politically related unless something massive and major would happen. And sadly it did. 
So, um, yeah, we have another brutal war, which happened before. And now it just started today as of this recording. And it's the 27th and it's a Sunday. And on this morning, there is a war now between Azerbaijan and Armenia over Gorno-Karabakh. I, I remember I did this interview episode with uh, the Red Line podcast about Transnistria and Gorno-Karabakh. We spoke about the differences and how it's like there and how it's all weird and disconnected from the world. You might check that other episode out. But, um, but yeah, Armenia, which is a Russian ally, claims that Azerbaijan shot rockets at the capital of Gorno-Karabakh those Grad things, which are also used in Ukraine by the Donbas separatists, because Gorno-Karabakh is a territory which is de jure, a part of Azerbaijan, but de facto it's a sort of completely unrecognized state, which is totally Armenian, and they use Armenian money, and while they're sort of technically Armenian, they've been hostile ever since. But let me remind you that uh, the crowd system is a Russian one, and honestly, at this point, nobody knows who shot them or from where, and both sides are claiming provocations and retaliation, but, but we already have blown up helicopters and tanks and dead people and dead civilians, because both sides report deaths of civilians, and not very pretty. Azerbaijanians report reconquering some villages in brutal hard battles, and they've got a full, complete Turkish support. Turkey, by the way, is a NATO country, just saying. Armenia, however, is uh, very much Russian-supported. And um, I pray to God that this won't escalate further, because, well, I will get to this, but this just reminds me of something, you know. Early 21st century, being kind of like the 20th, would, uh, would generally suck a lot. Azerbaijanis, they've got a full, complete Turkish support. Armenia and this Karabakh have fully mobilized and declared war and are doing what they call a counteroffensive. But again, it's a mess and uh, Caucasus is on fire. But I'll delve into this deeper when I get back home and I get more reliable information and everything and I contact people, which I know from those parts because so many things happening here in Eastern Europe that I'm hard to follow. But I have to do that when I get home. I have to let this go for now, but it is important. Because for now, nobody knows who is lying, who's lying of hows and whys. However, sadly, when I port on the Balkans, which is, by the way, not Caucasus, uh, trust me, Serbia, Montenegro, and Bosnia are quite far away from the very eastern end of Europe, from Azerbaijan and Armenia, which are borderline Europe. You know, it's kind of hard to know who's lying and how and why. But I have to start with this because, again... This is even bigger than Navalny's poisoning. And I hope that some peace settlement will be reached and this won't escalate. And I completely hate the fact that I need to start my report on the Balkans where I arrived as a guest and uh, just so the people could be able to show me the Balkans and that I would know more about this and they've put a lot of effort in here. But I have to start with some war on the other side of the continent, which is just, just so dumb. I hate it as much. It's unexpected, and in the already tense situation in the world in 2020, COVID and everything, this, this shit, what we did not need to have, it's terrible. But, but that's for later. I don't want to think about it right now. For one, like I said, I'm on a tourism trip, and I've, I've been treated supremely amazingly like a guest. It's awesome. The, the, the rooms that I'm staying in are amazing, and the it's called Red Africa because the guys 
have worked in Africa and stayed there for a lot of years. And there's a real zebra skin on, on the way to the kitchen. It's amazing. And, and it's crazy. And I feel like, you know, this is the most luxurious place I've ever stayed in uh, an abroad trip. So that's a, that's a bit of a thing. But we have to speak about the Balkans, really. Because um, my goal here is, well, I know, I know. I, I just don't want to get annoying with, with promoting the guys. But, you know, it's a Latvian thing that we feel obligated all the time. Because, you know, I feel so bad that, you know, they've spent all this money to get me here. And I want to repay them in, in some way. Because they truly deserve it. They're really awesome. And also because Balkans are just beautiful. This whole place is mountainous. And the rivers are awesome. And... And everything in the Balkans is just beautiful and amazing and just so full with culture and history. Because this is the spot where the Ottomans and, and the Austro-Hungarians, they, before that the Austrians, they just fought each other over it. And this has been the place of so many things. And I truly like it here. This is the, the point of Europe where you can go and truly see something which you don't see in other European countries. Because... The Balkans are a melting pot, sort of, in a way. This probably, and well, Germany might claim that they're a multicultural country now, but they don't know anything about this when it comes to here and the fact that this has been so historical. But I have to first off to explain everything and I have to get the elephant out of the room. I have to start talking about Gavrilo Princip. Obviously, because, you know, as you're listeners to my show, you're historically minded and you probably have heard of his name. And that's what you've been asking me on Twitter. And that's how it relates to the whole thing and the attitude towards life. Because, as usual, in the Eastern border, and it's even more relevant in the Balkans than the rest of Eastern Europe, things are way, way more complicated as they seem on the first glance. Oh, and uh, Dan... If you're listening to this, pretty sure you are, then, um, well, and everyone else who listened to the blueprint for Armageddon, that stuff in the beginning of the first world, major inconvenience, <laughs> so to speak, uh, yeah, sorry, kind of wrong. But it's okay, because as we all know, Western sources often skew Eastern European stuff quite a bit, so let's not blame Dan for minor inaccuracies. He's a great podcaster, just works with the material that he can get. Also, and this is important... This is a first impressions thing, and it'll contain a lot of personal insights. My amazing Red Africa folks have literally exhausted me by taking me to places, showing me stuff, telling me about everything, and I've only been here for three days. It's crazy, and there's like a lot more to see, and I'll be here for, well, more days. They also have provided me with a lot of historical papers and materials in the region, so I'll be way more prepared to do episodes concerning the region in the future. And, you know, I want to make, for example, an episode on why exactly Tito and Stalin broke up, and that would be a nice one, but that's for the future. Right now, I'll give you the interesting stuff about what I've been through so far and what's here, and in the next episode, which will release in a few days, I'll do a bit of a comparison of Slavic cultures... You know how southern Slavs differ from northern Slavs and such, and and the nice folks have arranged some interviews with some very interesting people. Yeah, concerning the Montenegro election and possibly, very possibly, Russian intervention there in the elections, to maybe get a military base or two in the Adriatic. Oh, and um, with a survivor from the 90s war. 
But a war, that war specifically, is something that I would like to avoid because that's um, a mess and a, it's a bloody and crazy mess with concentration camps, which I've been to and I've took pictures on and posted on Facebook and acts of genocide and everything. And, and, the, and this region, by the way, the Balkans, still bear the scars of the whole thing. And I would say, in a way, it gives them some identity. It gives the identity to the people living here. Like now in Ukraine, if you remember my reporting from there, it's a complex, complex thing, yet extremely interesting. Because Balkans are like, you know, the pick and choose candy bar stuff they have in Britain where you can pick various candy in a paper bag and paper weight, except for historically minded people, because you have like conflicts going on from the 12th century here. It's like crazy. If you want to know more about Europe, and everything, and you're interested in history, then this is where you should come, because I've been amazed about how everything has turned out, and how things have moved on from here, and how local people work on this whole stuff, and how they cooperate, because for every case of extremely brutal murder, you get another case of pure human interaction with love and peace and everything, and it's amazing. And I say all about Europe, because the modern world, if you think about it, the 20th century, as we know it today, and that has influenced us even now in the 21st, the, the war and everything, and Azerbaijan, like, it all has roots here. In a way, modern world both began and ended here in Sarajevo, on two different bridges, because the ripples of that, they are, I think truly heard and, and felt everywhere. Because when you think about Sarajevo, then, well, like I said about Gavril Princip, he wasn't a Bosnian or Bosniak. Bosniak is a new thing, by the way. Because, for example, um, in Tito's times in Yugoslavia, they used a Muslim as an identification for an ethnicity. Even though Bosnia and Herzegovina had been a very separate part of the region. Basically, they were separate from Serbia. They were their own thing. And they had their own culture and everything. Also, uh, Sarajevo in here is the first higher education institution in the whole Balkans, which started out as a madrasa, a Muslim higher learning institution for uh, Islamic studies. A lot of Bosnian people are Muslim, about 44%. At least Wikipedia says that it's about that number. And then they have their own uh, version of Catholicism. They're Catholics, but they're is their own church basically, because they're a descendant from Cathars in France, and also they have uh, the Orthodox thing, which is also not quite the same as everywhere else. Like everything here is kind of like things you could probably see elsewhere, but not exactly. Where do we begin? So, Gavrilo Princip, he wasn't born here, he was a Serb, because all the Balkans are, if you look at the map, you will see Serbia and Bosnia and Herzegovina and, and, and Chernogore, or Montenegro that is, and Albania and, and Slovenia and Croatia and all that stuff, but the people actually, you know, don't live in those countries. Unlike, for example, in, my, in the Baltics, where, you know, Latvians mostly live in Latvia, and Lithuanians mostly live in Lithuania and stuff like that. Here, it's totally different. Here, the region is as it has been under control of other major empires. 
it's mixed. So there's a lot of Serbs living in Bosnia, and there's a lot of um, Croats living here. They have their own identities. And unlike Stalin, which we hated in the EU, I'm sorry, which we hated in the Soviet Union. How oh, nice, I'll make a great EU joke. Um, these people basically like Tito in a way because he kind of kept the peace because they've been running through some internal disputes and various personal issues through the ages. Except Albanians, by the way. Albanians are like not Slavic at all, so they're their own thing, which is interesting. And them and the Montenegro people have something called a, a wedding gun. Yeah, I, I just said it. It's a wedding gun. It's not like the shotgun wedding, which people posted on Facebook when I posted that thing. But it's like they're used to just like Dagestani people in Russia or Chechens. They are the guys who basically shoot guns uh, in weddings for celebrations. And so strange for me because when I was sitting in the car with uh, my hosts and they have this Montenegrin lady who helps them out and is an employee there. And, and she was talking about how her relatives got married and then blam, 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 everyone just shot their guns at the wedding. It was awesome. And then I went like, what? And my face turned to stone a bit because a wedding gun? Yeah, that's a gun that's meant to shoot at weddings. It, it's supposed to shoot blanks, but a lot of people just don't care and just shoot real bullets. It's a weird thing. It's really a weird thing because that's a thing. But back to Gavrilo Princip. Like I said, he was a Bosnian Serb. I know that Dan has told you the story about the sandwich, but that apparently was fake because the real place where the whole assassination happened was not a cafe, it was a deli where you could buy various, various foodstuffs and he was there to actually wait for the royal couple to arrive. The thing is that he's a national hero in Serbia, but over here in Bosnia, he's kind of not... Because although he was against the Austro-Hungarian government, as a lot of Bosnians, Bosniaks, Bosniaks really, Bosniaks are an ethnicity, Bosnians are a nation, and then they use the word Muslim to describe a nation because since 1974, due to Tito's reforms, they do that. And, um, and the Austro-Hungarians, apparently, basically the Franz Ferdinand and his wife, made donations to young female schools for Muslim kids, right? Because of the fact that he was kind of loved by the minorities and um, he also was friendly and kind of peaceful. And the Serbs hated him the most out of all the, all the Balkan countries. Because of that, for example, the Bosniak people don't consider Gavrilo Principe a hero, even though he has a monument in East Sarajevo because of Republika Srpska. I'll maybe touch about that sometime later. But basically, the local Serbs consider him awesome, and people in Serbia consider him awesome, while the people who are Bosnian and, and Croats, they just do not. They consider him a, well, proper terrorist. And that's the beginning of how... They're all Slavic peoples. They're all, like, the same cousin relationships. For example, we have Lithuania, except that they managed to somehow live together here. And one also other interesting thing is that there used to be a lot of Jews here in Bosnia, because, well, it turns out that when the Spanish expelled the Jews from Spain, 
a lot of them came to the Ottoman Empire, and guess what? All this stuff, what I'm in now, used to be a part of the Ottoman Empire at the time. And there's a synagogue built for them, and everyone was super friendly. There are even, like, secret documents, like hidden, well, super important Jewish sacred scrolls that were held by the local Muslim communities to protect them in various war situations, because this place has seen more wars than, I don't know, anywhere else in Europe, because everyone tried to, like, conquer it and move over it, and, hey, I come from the Baltics, and we've seen a lot of war, but this is totally different. So what you can see here is the fact that it's more of a kind of a national conflict, however... Bosnia itself is a country built upon this, in a way, European slogan celebrating diversity, but the people inside, they haven't really been, you know, conferred to their own things and, and they still hold grudges. That's a bad thing, I think. But um, the fact that, at least in the Balkans, the Jews and the Muslims and Christians and and the fact that it's so multicultural... And the fact that they have been so for many, many, many years, and the fact that the Muslims have helped out the Jews and the Jews have helped out the Muslims, I think that truly shows that there is, like, you know, peace possible somewhere. But if you want to see a truly peaceful kind of coexistence, then this is where you should come. Hey guys, Annette here. I hope you are enjoying our new episode of The Eastern Border. As always, a big thank you to all of our Patreons. The show would not be possible without your help. If you are not a Patreon and would like to become one, head over to the Eastern Border page on patreon.com. Please remember to also follow us on our social media, like Twitter, where we are known as Eastern underscore Border, and on our Facebook page. We also have a Discord server, so if you're interested in that, find the link in the description of this podcast. That's it for now. See you online. This podcast brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But, you know, besides the very interesting multicultural stuff that was between the Muslims and the Jews and the Christians here. Because, yeah, you know, you have them on the same block. You can have a massive Orthodox church, a Catholic church, and a synagogue there in Sarajevo, and it's amazing. And there are multiple studies about how people have helped each other all the time, and that's great. And then they have their own monuments, because, you see, I also was taken to Tito's bunker, 
The problem is that while these countries have a bit of a, a bit of issue with funding, so to speak, so a lot of Tito's Bunker has been turned into an art exhibition. That's how they get their funding. But you can still see all the historical stuff, and it's a bunker about at its deepest point. It was two hundred and eighty-three meters below ground, and it was able to withstand twenty-five kilotons of well explosions. And the thing is that it was finished. If I remember correctly, it was 1974, at which point it was already obsolete, though. But it was built nearby Sarajevo, like a, an hour's drive or something away. And it was full with peace art things. Well, not a huge fan of modern art, I can say. But the, the tour was great. And also, well, if you imagine the fact that people just, even Tito himself, which we... We'll speak about in the future episode in much more detail. If you understand that he built this bunker for himself and his generals, and only like a few people knew about it up until like the collapse of Yugoslavia, and as the tour guide told us, there were 16 guards in place at all times, ready to basically guard the bunker against anyone who would want to enter there. And 14 of the guards escaped the bunker, as she told us. They just ran away. And just two guards remained to basically, and they were supposed to blow the bunker up, but they didn't. And for that, by the way, they were imprisoned and they were like, you know, sent to court because they were supposed to blow the bunker up. And uh, Yugoslavia, in general, this whole region, the Balkans, they also had an underground aircraft base, which I find just super amazing and cool, but. This whole Tito's bunker thing, and you go downstairs there, and it's it's kind of moist. The air is very moist there. You can like feel it, but it contains all the Siemens operational systems and everything. And you can just see where like the money went into and where they spent all of it to build this thing inside of a mountain. It's crazy. It apparently, cost four point eight billion dollars. That's a billion dollars of that era money, not this one. And Tito himself is kind of a popular figure here. But he's also slightly controversial to some circles, but not as much as the Ustasha, which were the Croatian super Nazis. I'll do an episode on them later, but apparently they were so bad that even the Nazis themselves said that, well, we need to intervene a bit that this is going out of hand because they were highly anti-Serbian. But then again, the Serbians themselves have done things, and everyone has done things to everyone here. And everyone's been targeted for some uh, genocide or other. It all kind of comes together with this kind of conflict of civilizations that, you know, a lot of people like to talk about. Except that here, it's more of a coexistence of civilizations with a gun in hand. That's how I would describe it. Everyone has a gun in hand, but they're all ready to, you know, be peaceful and nice to each other. Like I said, for every story of terrible violence, there are good things going on as well. And um, one thing that I visited was the Mostar city, where uh, the Ottomans built their kind of bridge over Nyverta rivers. I, I hope so, because, you know, Serbian is very close to Russian, and I can get like 50% of the words that they're saying, but it's pretty difficult otherwise. But... The, the Ottomans built that bridge, and then it was in the war, exploded, and then it rebuilt again. But nearby in that town, 
due to the fact that, well, for example, Tito himself was Croatian, the guy who was the Yugoslavian leader, right? And he fought against the Ustasha regime, which was also Croatian. But they had these Yugoslavian partisans. They wanted to have a graveyard that was truly atheistic because they were all total socialists. Uh, like up until Stalin's death, I think it was like up until 1951. I'm going to have to do some research on that, that, that fact. They used to be Stalinists, but then they kind of moved away and did their own thing. But they wanted to have their own graveyard, which was without any religious symbolism whatsoever. You can't tell which ethnicity any of these partisans are, except, you know, for their names. But when I saw that thing, it's kind of left in disrepair. And there's a lot of buildings here that are just, you know, first floor might be full with good food and awesome places and everywhere is mountains, but the second floor might be destroyed by the wars and no one will repair it. And the same goes with the cemetery thing, because that awesome, beautiful, by the way, by Bogdan Bogdanovich, that's the architect of the place, he made this cemetery that is truly kind of, well, it's atheistic, but it's socialist. It uses all the pagan symbols of the Yugoslavs to make it into a cemetery that's also not a kind of a gloomy memorial of death, because he wanted to make a memorial that would celebrate the lives of those partisans, the lives of those people who gave their lives for, well, at that point, Tito's Yugoslavia. But in general, they just fought against Nazis. It's a Yugoslavian thing, and it was built in this... It translates into English into Bridge Guardians Town, okay? It's fine. <laughs> it's uh, Mostari. Mostari, yes. Uh, it was in Mostari, and the um, thing is, it's left in total disrepair. I have pictures on Facebook, and that's the one thing that I can say that's kind of not as fun about the Balkans, because, you know, there's a lot of weird nationalism going on, in a way, in, in between the things, and, well, no matter what you believe in, no matter what your ideology or religion is, that place is in the UNESCO fund, because of how beautiful it is, because, like I said, it was built in total, you know, view of what progress could socialism bring and of course it's socialism and i'm not a fan of it by any many any possible way or or, or whatever but it kind of makes makes you think because it's left in disrepair and a lot of gravestones there they look like puzzle pieces but they carry the names there they they wanted to celebrate the lives of the people who were fallen instead of their deaths because they were all like you know socialist atheists there are people right now and their own brothers and sisters who go out there and just, you know, smash the gravestones because of different ethnicity or something. And everything's covered with weeds. And I think it would be a beautiful, beautiful thing if the Yugoslavs, all of them, and I call them Yugoslavs and they'll probably hate me for it because, you know, if you speak to a Bosnian, then they'll always claim to be Bosnian and Montenegrins will be their own thing. But I still would like to call them Yugoslavs, because that reminds me of some, you know, peace between the nations. It would be a nice thing for, for them to repair this, and the, all the pictures are on Facebook, and that was the most stunning thing that I found the most depressing, and I, and I went there after after being taken to a place where, where a concentration camp was. And at least the concentration camp site is left totally unchecked, and like, weeds grow there and no one lives there and no one has to even try to fix it which is weird for me but i guess it's pretty normal because well you know 
leave it as it is. Let it be. The Balkan people, they're, they're not ashamed of their scars. They're proud of them, at least as far as I get it. But the fact that they haven't rebuilt and, and refurbished and recreated their own kind of partisan Tito's cemetery thing, that was a bit weird, though. And I would really be happy because that's not just a Bosnian symbol for here in Sarajevo. That's a symbol for all of Yugoslavians. And I would really rather see it repaired and be created once again in its like former glory. Because of how it matters here. And I don't know if I look at like the Russian tries and attempts to get some attention here because the modern Russian government, as the imperial Russian government was, and as the Soviet government was, they were very pan-Slavic and they would probably want some more influence here. I don't know. Trying to control all this land and the people are just so nice and friendly, except when they're loud and stuff. Kind of weird. The very fact that these gravestones and these sites being damaged by the people of different ethnicities and different political views and yours. And at the same time, you have all this historical evidence of tolerance and peace and kindness, all the kind of good stuff that happened. It, it gives you hope. That's why I'm kind of confused and speaking in such a weird way, because so far Balkans have confused me more than they have given me any real concrete opinion. Because this place is truly complicated. If you want to find a place where sort of the Eastern civilization meets the Western one, where the borders of Christianity meet uh, the Islamic world, and when they all kind of get together and work together sometimes, when the Jews are involved as well, they also kind of fit in. Because like I said, they moved here during their, their exile from Spain. This is This is it. This is just like, wow. I could try to delve deeper into literally any subject that I've been speaking about, but if I would, that would be an episode on its own. It's pretty crazy here. Kind of in a good way. You learn how to accept it. Because the local culture is just... Which one? Which one of them, really? As you can hear from me, I'm pretty confused because all the historical stuff that I've received in my head and in the paper form... It's weird, okay? It's really weird, and it's Europe, but it's different. I try to make the best out of it that I can. However, one thing that I cannot deny here is the fact that it's a beautiful land, it's a beautiful countryside, and all these mountains and everything with the caves in them, and specifically the Nevera River, I think. Nevra, Nevera, I... I can't pronounce, uh, I think it's Serbian, Croatian, their language, okay, <laughs> just their language, that, that, that's how I'm gonna call it, that, that's how they called it themselves, by the way, it's their language, because, you know, everything here is written both in Cyrillic and, and you know, with Latin letters, and it's, it's a bit weird, but I get used to it, the nature here is amazing, and everything is super beautiful, I know that, for example, Croatia is in the EU now. I do believe that the other countries here as well have a path to that, definitely. Because if they would just try a bit harder, I think, they would totally make it. But the whole wars thing... I mean, as much as I like to avoid it, and I don't want to get into details of that thing, like, everything here is tied to it. All the monuments, everything, all the... Like, all of their parks in Sarajevo have been cemeteries, because 
there used to be a massive plague and uh, the Austro-Hungarian government told them that you can't turn the whole city into cemetery. So they basically built a lot of cemeteries and then you go through the town and then you see like a, a Muslim cemetery and then you see a an Orthodox cemetery and then you see a Catholic cemetery and then you see another church or whatever. It's crazy. And it's beautiful at the same time. And at the same time, they have these like weird pagan era statues, which I, I call them statues because I have no other name for them, really. They take like blocks of stone. They can be shaped in very different ways, but they hold like pagan symbols on them, but they come from the era of the local Catholic church because those are gravestones and, and they were inscribed with both the Christian symbols and the pagan ones, and they all kind of kind of mash together in a weird ensemble that blows your brains out as, as much as you, you know, the deeper you try to think about it, the, the harder it gets. And I think that, that kind of describes the Balkans as a whole. They're a beautiful place. They have a lot of good things here, and, and everything's turning better and better. But the whole Balkans I would describe as those, those weird gravestones. They're a bit weird, but in their own way, and they're a fusion. Because what happens here, specifically in Bosnia and in, in, in Sarajevo, like I mentioned at the beginning of the Gavrilo Principinology, is that these people, who are very different, who have been under the Ottoman Empire and then the Austro-Hungarians, and, well, every war ever has been fought over here, yeah, they they kind of stick together. They stick together and they... Uh, have their own thing going on there and despite their differences they're still well as I see them as a foreigner as someone from like a very different perspective right see them as united people and I truly believe that they'll they'll get over their differences one day they'll get over their differences and they will build something in common even if they're like separated different countries they will still work together and that's going to be awesome. Because so far, I haven't seen a country yet which has as much as Catholic and Orthodox holy sites and priests and whatever, and differences between them, and, and synagogues, and then, you know, all, all the Muslim sites. At the same time, the one bonus for me as a smoker is the fact that you can smoke inside everywhere, except hotels, which, you know... I don't, because you can't smoke inside basically anywhere. Try not to, because it just kind of runs against my, my own convictions about where you should smoke and where you shouldn't smoke. However, people do smoke here, and people enjoy life here. And they've been through a lot. It's kind of the, the whole conflict thing and the war thing kind of defines them, in a way, because they're fighting over and arguing over things that happened back in the 13th century. However... They truly know how to enjoy life. From what I've seen, everyone's smiling and happy and enjoying the moment and having the same dark humor sense that we had back in the USSR and we have still in Latvia. And that's the best part because there is no depression here. There are depressive places and memorials and stuff, but I haven't seen a person who would be sad and depressed. They're all trying their best. And that gives me hope. Because this region is a weird part of Eastern Europe. It's it's weird and um, I'm being 
kind of strange in this show for my first impressions episode just because I still cannot truly get it. I don't comprehend it. I don't even claim to have like comprehension of everything, but but they make it work somehow. And with all the like, you know, Macedonians, Albanians, Croats, Serbs, uh, Bosnians, everyone, they're all amazing people. And why they haven't been able to work together for previous years, I don't know. But they should be too. Should be able to. However, it's all so much full of history because, you know, you, you walk a block and you see basically a mosque right in front of a Austro-Hungarian civil building. Like, their city hall is amazing here in Sarajevo. It's, like, beautiful and it's, like, total Austro-Hungarian architecture. And it very much reminds me of what we have in Riga with the Art Nouveau stuff and all that 19th century thing. And it's in front of a mosque, and um, I'm coming from Latvia, from the Baltics, where we don't have a lot of Muslims. We barely have any, to be honest. It makes it all very confusing and interesting to me. There's a lot of things to see, and I'm absorbing the information, but like a lot of people here, for example, love Tito, because he was the guy who managed to pull everyone together and make him struggle together. And like I said at the beginning... All of this is just confusing to me still. I'll get more into details and do some comparisons in the next episode, but for now, well, these are first impressions, and first impressions are the fact that the land is beautiful, the people are extremely nice, but they have some deeply rooted problems that they need to sort out. For example, if you're a tourist, then it's amazing. And in the same Mostar, they have this like old bridge that the Ottomans built, and they have like these people who do diving from it. And it's crazy. It's just crazy because everyone's just in love with life here. Everyone's alive. Everyone just, you know, appreciates what they have. And they might not be as rich as, well, the United States of America, obviously, or some EU countries. However, despite all the cultural differences and all the struggle and all the facts that they've, you know, been through, they still hold dear to their memory and show to people who come here like not only the conflict parts, but also truly the parts that make them kind of united. And there's a unique situation, at least in Bosnia-Herzegovina, coexistence, this peaceful coexistence and, and help and aid and mutual aid by the Jews and Muslims to each other. And that's something that you don't see every day in the modern Western world and everywhere else. These guys are in love with life and they know how to live it. It's amazing. They have something going on for them. So it's a beautiful place with beautiful people inside. It's just that they have some difference between themselves. I hope that those will be solved eventually. And it's a weird study to tell, to be honest, because like I said, I've been like through two days and the Tito's bunker and all the cities and all the monuments and everything, stuffing it all in in one episode pretty hard. That's what I'm going to do too. That's why I'm going to get another one in the 30th. But for now, for now, because check out Red Africa though, but there's been a philosophical thing so far being in Sarajevo has made me think, made me think about how we view our own neighbors in the Baltics, made me think about how I view the Europe in general, and made me think about how, how everything in the end is tied together 
and how people can manage through the worst situations with a smile on their face. And for that, I kind of envy the Bosnians, Bosniaks, sorry. They truly are in love with life, like I said. <laughs> I could quote, like, Daniel Ibali here from every intro of his show. Fuck pain, fuck heartache, I love life. That's what they do. I have yet to see another peoples who are living here who are smiling as much and enjoying themselves and they truly, truly know how to appreciate the value that they don't have massive conflicts. Now, what they should do, obviously, is, you know, try to resolve their own issues and restore the monuments and some broken buildings. But otherwise, this place is truly, truly something that's simple as the 20th century. In a historical and a more philosophical way, the Balkans are somewhat representative of what we have achieved as a humanity in this, this whole period of time. Because, like I said, the first war started here, and then the last war of the 20th century, which they had in the 90s, ended here, and there's tragic stories about it. I'll get to that in the next episode, but, but they still pulled through. They managed it. They did it. And they're awesome people. So, it's Eastern Europe, but a bit more dark and a bit more Southern than I'm expected. However, it's so fascinating at least to me, and I truly believe that to all of you as well. So this is going to be it for the episode, the Svedanya Tavarishu, but it makes you think, doesn't it? Makes you think a bit. I'll get into details next time. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The Dark Myths Void. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.